Hello and welcome. You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our hope that you will be encouraged and that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast. For more information on location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit, go to coastaloakschurch.org. Now, grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. You open your Bibles to the book of 2 Chronicles, chapter 7. 2 Chronicles, chapter 7. Being a pastor for 20-something years, one of my um, duties at several churches has been to go to children's camp and go to youth camp. There's nothing like going to a kid that's a couple of weeks away from camp and they've never been before and asking them, are you ready for camp? And you can, they can show you they've got their suitcase lined up, their sleeping bags there, they've got everything packed ready to go except junior high boys. They don't pack enough underwear. They don't pack enough socks. They don't pack shampoo and soap. But everybody else gets excited about camp and they prepare for camp weeks in advance. They're ready to go. We're starting a week of prayer tonight. That's why we're calling it 714 Focus Week of Prayer based on 2 Chronicles 714. What I want to do today is challenge us as a church to be prepared for what God might want to do in our lives during this week. Just like an excited teenager or child getting ready for camp. I pray that God would motivate us with a zeal and a passion and an excitement for what he would have us experience this week as we meet with him. Second Chronicles chapter 7. God has led Solomon to build the temple. He's, he's constructed it, dedicated it, and now there's a prayer. God responds in chapter 7 verse 12. The Lord appeared to Solomon at night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a temple of sacrifice. If I close the sky so there is no rain, or if I command the grasshopper to consume the land, or if I send pestilence on my people, and my people who are called by my name humble themselves, pray and seek my face, and turn from their evil ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. Verse 15, God says to Solomon, My eyes will now be open and my ears attentive, to the prayer from this place. God says to Solomon, if you as a people of God will be who you need to be, responding the way you need to respond, then I will hear your prayer and I will bring healing to your land. Well, let's look at some requirements for a move of God. As we prepare for the week of prayer, what are some requirements that we need to meet as the people of God to see God move and act. Number one, just be ready for those requirements, all right? If you're taking notes, be ready for the requirements. Here's the first requirement. Humble ourselves. We humble ourselves. Look at that passage there in verse 14. The if is understood. He has said, if I bring pestilence, if I do this. He says, and if understood my people who are called by my name, the people of God, believers... The church, if my people will humble themselves, that's the first ingredient. That's the first part of that recipe of genuine revival from God, a humbling of ourselves. Paul wrote in Romans, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought, but to be humble of heart. We are not to say, life is all about me. One of the first places that God told the people of God to be prepared for a renewal, a revival, a, a moving in their land was for the people of God to understand they're not quite as important as they think they are. 
humble themselves. I read a story this week I love about a, a lady who went to a brand new dentist. And as she sat in the waiting room, she saw the plaques on the wall and his degrees, his, his doctor of dentistry degree. And she noticed the name was familiar and the spelling was even very familiar. And she thought, I wonder if that could be the guy, this tall, dark, handsome young man that I had a crush on when I was in high school. So she's wondering, I wonder if this new dentist is that guy that I had a crush on. So she goes into the treatment room and she meets the dentist and she forgets all that because he's old and gray-headed and balding and wrinkled and so she figures this can't be the same guy. So he works on her teeth and she was still curious so she asked him, she said, uh, did you go to Morgan High School? He says, I sure did, I'm a Mustang. And she said, what year did you graduate? He said, 1959, why? She said, I think you were in my class. And he said, really? He said, what did you teach? <laughs> we have a tendency to think of ourselves more highly than we should. God's constantly wanting to remind us it's not all about you. You didn't put the stars in the heavens. What did Job deal with? You go through the book of Job, and, and those guys were constantly trying to figure everything out. And finally, in the last chapters of Job, God says to Job, Job, brace yourself. You've asked me all these questions. Now I want to ask you a question, Job. This is Kevin's paraphrase, okay? Hasn't been published yet, but... Um, Job, where were you when I put the stars in the sky? Tell me. Come on. Job, where were you when the ocean was placed in its basin? Surely you know. Where were you when the mountains were laid by the foundations, Job? And he goes on for chapter after chapter saying to Job, Job, I'm God and you're not. Teddy Roosevelt used to take his dignitaries out on the back lawn of the White House in the evening and before it was a city, and they would stand on the, the lawn and look up at the heavens and see the stars. And Roosevelt would just stare at the stars, and those people with him would stare at the stars, and they'd just look at the galaxies up there, and he'd just stand there quietly for a little while. And then he'd say, okay, gentlemen, now that we know how small we are, we can retire for the night. I like that. Just look at the greatness of God. If nothing else humbles you, look at the greatness of God. Number one, humble ourselves. Secondly, second requirement, he says that my people will humble themselves and pray. Second requirement for being involved in what God wants to do in the, in, with his people, pray for a move of God. Seek him. Cry out to him. I love the story about the man named Ed who had gone to a church and they they gave a, an appeal if anybody wants the pastor to pray for them to come forward. And so they were lining up for the pastor and they would come and we don't do that that way in this church, but they did that. We don't do that in this church because everybody can pray in this church. The pastor's not the only one with the direct line to God. Did you know that? But anyway, in this church, that was a big deal to them. They were lined up coming to pray and, and Ed stepped up to the pastor and said, uh, Ed, how can I pray for you? And he said, Pastor, I need you to pray for my hearing. So he puts one finger in Ed's ear and the other hand on his head and he just begins to cry out to God, hallelujah, praise the Lord, heal Ed. And when he's all done, takes his hands off of Ed and says, Ed, how's your hearing? He says, I don't know, Pastor, it's not till next Thursday at the county courthouse. <laughs> we need to be specific when we pray. Not just God bless the missionaries. Not just God bless our church. But God, we're asking for you to move in our midst to do a work that only you can do. Pray for a move of God. Third requirement, seek God wholeheartedly. Seek God wholeheartedly.
The Bible says here in this passage, I'm going to humble myself, I'm to humble myself to pray and seek his face. God says, will you, people of God, Christians, seek my face? It means to seek him with your whole heart. We're coming together for a week of prayer tonight. We'll begin with a, a solemn assembly, and that's where we just come in quietly, silently. Some of our folks are struggling with that one. But just come in and silently sit before the Lord. And listen, as we read scripture and as we pray and as we get in small groups and and prepare our hearts for the week, and then we're going to meet here every night of the week, canceling all our other events, inviting people to come and pray. As we pray over the facilities and we pray for classrooms, we pray for workers, we seek God and we say, God, we want you and you alone to do a move in this place. Seek God wholeheartedly, to thirst after him. When I was a kid growing up in West Texas, took a backpacking trip up into the Guadalupe Mountains, decided that I was smarter than all the people that made the hiking maps. Really, it was my friends who decided they were smarter. I tried to talk them out of it. I was always the voice of reason. That whole camping trip, they called me, okay, mom, all right, mom. Said, I'm not your mom. Well, you sure sound like it. So I went with the guys, and we blazed this trail out in the middle of nowhere on this mountain, and we got stranded, and we were late for our pickup. And we ran out of water, and we ran out of food, and I was just about to, I thought I was going to die, I was so thirsty. I, all I could think of was getting down to the ranger station and hitting that tap and getting some water. That's pretty bad, you want to drink out of that, you know, hose at the ranger station. And I made a promise to God that, that day. I said, God, if you ever get me out of this, I will never again turn down a glass of iced tea or a glass of water. All I could think about on that mountain when I was hot and dry and thirsty was, Lord, all those times I've told people, no, thank you. I could just have one of those. Just one glass of water. One drink of iced tea. I was panting. The Bible says, as the deer pants for water, so my soul pants for thee or longs after thee. To see God move in this place so that he moves in this community. It's going to take us seeking him with our whole hearts. Number four, letter D. We need to be willing to repent of sin. He says if we will humble ourselves, pray, seek his face, and turn from their evil ways. That's repentance. That that word in the Bible, repent, is there in a lot of places, and a lot of people don't like to use that word. It means to change my mind and my attitude about sin. It means that I was going this way, and God spoke to my heart, and I stopped, and I turned toward him. My sister was telling me yesterday about a a drill team, high school drill team, and the person giving the instructions was marching the, the cadets on this drill team, uh, ROTC drill team, and got distracted. And she was calling out her, her cadence for them, what to do, and really wasn't watching the troops. And she marched them into a wall. And the first row got to the wall, and they just stopped, and they're doing this. And the next row got to the wall. And so she got, somebody got her attention, looked up, and all those lines of cadets are standing face up to the wall, marching like this. And so she had to figure out how to, what commands to give them to turn this way and that way and come back. I thought, that that's where some of us are. We, we have marched away from God until we've marched ourselves into a wall. And you say, how do I get out of this mess? Turn from your evil ways. Pretty simple, isn't it? Just say, God, I'm going the wrong way, and you know it, and I know it, and I admit it, and I confess it, and I'm going to turn and follow you. Some of us need to turn back. So we need to turn back to God and seek him with our whole hearts. Are we ready to meet the requirements? Here's the sad news. 
I believe God is more than ready to bring a move to our church and to our community. But sometimes, well, often, we are the very obstacles to the revival that God wants to bring. I read recently about a man in South America who for years had been going around this mountain near his village, like a four and a half mile trek around this mountain to get to the other village, and he got tired of it. You heard a story about a man who dug a tunnel through a mountain. So he decided he was going to tunnel through this mountain. Fourteen years later, this man had tunneled through this mountain by himself, all by himself, to get past that mountain to get to the next village. Inch by inch, step by step, that guy tunneled his own way so he could crawl through there. He removed a barrier. Some of us may be the barrier to what God wants to do. Can you allow him just to begin to tunnel through your heart? To get to that place where, God, I'm no longer the obstacle. I want you to remove me as the barrier. Here's some questions to ask ourselves. First of all, will you ask yourself, are we clinging to any unconfessed sin? Are we clinging to any unconfessed sin? The little things. Those little things that we don't pay attention to. Van Halen, the rock group, when they would go to their, they, they were the big show, and they decided to take their big, huge show to another market. They call them like a thir- or third string market, to the smaller venues. They said they found that they went to these venues where people were used to concerts coming in with three or four semis. And this Van Halen band would show up with eight, 10, 12 semis of equipment and gear. And they started to discover that those smaller venues weren't prepared for them. They would put in their contract, we want to make sure that your stage will hold up this amount of equipment. And those stages weren't that ready, that, that prepared for it. So they decided they would put in their contract an M&M clause. And here's what it said in the detail of the contract. We want M&Ms in our dressing room. That's the perks that they wanted. And we want no brown M&Ms. That's what they would put in there. So when they would go into a city and get ready for a concert, they would go in their dressing room. And if there were brown M&Ms there, you know what they would do? They would say... These people haven't read the contract. They haven't looked at the details. And they found in one of those cases, the stage would have collapsed had they got on it with all their equipment. Now, that's a little detail, isn't it? But it's those little details that can break us. You read about Achan's sin in the Old Testament. You read about God searching for sin in the camp. The little things in our lives are what hinder us. Are we clinging to that? Zoos will trap monkeys in the forest and in the jungles by taking these huge jars that are very heavy and with a small opening, and they will fill them with aromatic nuts that the monkeys will smell. And the monkeys will go and find the jars and reach their hand in that jar and grab a handful of nuts. But with a fist full of nuts, they can't pull them out of the jar. And they can't, they're not big enough to move the jar. So the next day, the trappers show up, and here's all these monkeys laying in the forest with their fist in the jar. And they just pick them up and take them to the zoo. Don't harm them a bit. Why? They're trapped because they're clinging to the nuts in the jar. They don't want to let go. The very thing that they cling to is the very thing that causes them to be trapped. And if you could talk monkey, you would say, monkey? Some of you might be able to do that. I don't know. (laughs) I I, I think about that after I said that. (laughs) Say, monkey, all you have to do is let go of that stuff that you're clinging to, and you can go free. Could God be saying, Christian, can you let go of that sin that you're clinging to? 
There's freedom in that. Am I clinging to any unconfessed sin? Secondly, have we become apathetic toward the things of God? Apathetic toward the things of God. Not sensitive to his voice. The story told of a missionary in Korea in the 1940s, Alita Jacobs. And she would go to people and be specific with them about sin in their life. And there's a story told about her going to one of the missionary uh, lead mission pastors there. And she asked him, do you believe the passage that says, seek ye first the kingdom of God? And he said, oh yes, I believe it. She said, do you preach it? And he said, "Uh, yes, I preach that. She said, so you're telling me uh, that you seek first the kingdom of God? He said, oh yes. She said, can you tell me that there's nothing in your life that you seek more than the kingdom of God? And he said, well, I, I guess there might be some things. So she says, you're telling me that what you preach isn't how you live. He said, yeah, I guess that's right. She says, so what does that make you? He said, I'm a hypocrite. See, that's God zeroing in. That's God saying, let's don't be apathetic. God's serious about it. God's concerned about heart issues. Have I become apathetic? Do I just say, oh yeah, I seek first the kingdom of God. I seek his righteousness, or is it true? Is it a part of your life? Third question, do we lack an awareness of God's presence in our lives? Do we lack an awareness of God's presence in our lives? We heard a radio show when our kids were little, and the family would practice what they called I spy, and so we did that with our kids some, where where we would say, I spy, and we would look for God working in somebody's life. I spy God here, I spy, so we would do that, and, and it was a reminder to the family, let's look for God being at work somewhere so we can teach our kids. I spy, God's up to something. Well, that's a good thing for a church to do, to look for the hand of God, to be sensitive to the activity of God. We pray here every Sunday morning, one of our guys prays, Lord, as, as people come into this building, help us be sensitive to opportunities to minister to people. Are you? Or is it all about you? I, I would say probably... Um, at least half of us came here this morning and we weren't thinking about others we were just thinking about ourselves I wonder how many showed up and thought I wonder what God's going to do in my life today so that I can minister to somebody who I encounter at that church are we thinking about how can I get to my seat by the way I've got empty seats up front here isn't that great I was kind of all alone by myself and one of the ladies said you're in the spit zone that's what's wrong with the front row but um It's great to come, it's great to be sensitive, and it's great to to say, God, I'm listening. I want to be aware of what you would do in my life. Let's go to the fourth truth there, fourth question to ask. Have we lost our joy? Have we lost our joy? I prayed a prayer a while back. Did I skip a point? Y'all are looking at me like I'm trying. Did I skip one? No. Just checking. Do you all think I missed one over there on this side? Do we lack an awareness of God's presence? Have we lost our joy? Can you remember what it was like before you got saved? Can you remember what it was like to not have forgiveness of sin? Can you remember what it was like to not have the presence of God in your life? Joy, I think probably one of the main things that that derails us in our Christian life is we forget what God has done for us. Joy, 
Ask yourself that question. The last question to ask, are we willing to yield to God? Are we willing to yield to Him? I read about the construction of the English, the tunnel under the English Channel from England to France, and uh, they called it the Channel, the tunnel under the channel. I figured that out myself. And the British started their digging, and they had their system of measurement and their uh, system of measuring electricity and voltage and all that, and their way of looking at engineering plans. And then you had the French with their own system in a different language, and both sides said, ours is right. Can you imagine? Chaos. There was no standard. There was no one willing to say, I'm going to yield to the other side, and we're going to go with your system. And it was a disaster. Here's what God says to us. Are you willing to yield to me? Are you going to just dig your heels in and say, no, my way is the best way? Kind of reminds you of that monkey hanging on, doesn't it? I'm not letting go for anything. Are you willing to yield to God? And when God moves, here's the results we can expect. Here's the results. When God moves, I can expect results. Back to 2 Chronicles 7. Verse 14, if we humble ourselves, pray, seek his face, turn from our wicked ways, evil ways, the Bible says, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. Look with me at Psalm 51. David's heart cry when he's caught by Nathan the prophet, confronted with his sin with Bathsheba. David says, God, create a clean heart for me. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Give me a willing spirit. Then I will teach the rebellious your ways and sinners will return to you. See, David longed for that joy. He longed for that presence of God. And he says, then I will be used to to convince, to share to the lost sinners so that they'll hear. Just like in 2 Chronicles, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. What are the results? First of all, God has given clean vessels with which he can work. God has given clean vessels through which he can work. When I confess my sin, when I say like David did, God created me a clean heart. When I'm willing to say yes to God and no to sin, when I'm willing to agree with him that I'm wrong and he's right, God has a clean vessel that he can use, that he can speak through, that he can minister through. Uh, that's, that's my prayer all the time for this church, that, that we would be a church who would walk in holiness so that this community would take notice to what happens when people get their hearts right with God. I read about a little uh, animal called the ermine. It lives in Asia and Europe. Beautiful, pure white coat. An animal protects its coat just like doesn't want any dirt to come on its coat. It's always cleaning itself. The trappers have found the best way to catch that little animal is when he leaves his den, to go to the den and smear all kinds of grime all over the entrance to the den. Then when they chase those animals, they instinctively head back to their den. When they get to their den, they will not go inside because it's dirty. Isn't that amazing? Will not go in because they're avoiding the filth, because they want to protect the purity of their, of their coat. That's the way the church ought to live. Not willing to go near sin because we want to protect the righteousness 
that's been imputed to us, that's been given to us by Christ to live and to walk in holiness. When God moves, I can expect that I will be a clean vessel that he can use. There are people you know, you work with, you rub shoulders with every day in this community, and they're just waiting to see a difference in your life. See, they, what happens is they lay their life alongside yours to measure, and you're not any different than they are. And you might be pretty good, and you tell them about going to church, and you invite them to church. You might even be good enough to tell them about Jesus, but they're saying, why would I need that? Because my life is the same as your life. Your attitude is the same as mine. The things you do are the same things I do. You're not any different than I am. See, when God gets a hold of you, when God gets a hold of us, there's a difference in our lives. When people look at us, they see, oh, wow, my life's different. What do you have that I don't have? That's how I came to Christ. I watched my parents' lives transform, and I said, I want what they have. How many people are wanting, looking at your life, saying, I want what they have? It only comes when we have clean hearts, clean vessels that God can work through and use. The next result, and I love it, people will be saved. People will be saved. See, it's the byproduct of revival. Evangelism is something we're called to do. It's the Great Commission. We challenge this church to do it every week. That's what God's called us to do. But the Bible says one of the obstacles to revival, I mean, or to evangelism, is, is the hearts of the people of God. Second Chronicles says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, then I will heal the land. We are big about talking about how America needs to change. And we like to blame it on all the politicians. Let me tell you something. You know whose fault it is that America is as dark of a nation as it is? The people of God. See, you can't blame the darkness. It's just being dark. Blame the light for not shining. When we, as the people of God, are seeking him with our whole hearts, yielded to him, he will transform our communities. We can't blame them. They're just doing what they, what they are. They're just being darkness. We're the light. Read about a bomber pilot in World War II, Jacob de Sazer, the Shazar, and he bombed Tokyo and then was told to land his plane and didn't get instructions on where to land, so they ran out of fuel. They had the crew uh, bail out, parachute out, and then they found a place to land the plane. He landed it. He was captured by the Japanese, spent two years in solitary confinement, terrible, harsh conditions. Uh, they were starved. The prisoners were starved. They were beaten. They were tortured. And one of the prisoners died, and so the Japanese came in and said, we're going to try to improve conditions in this prison. And they started improving the rations and letting the prisoners read. And one of the books that they passed out to the prisoners was a Bible. It took him six months to get his hands on one. It finally came around to his turn. And he was raised in a Christian home, but he never accepted Christ. He went straight to Romans chapter 10, verse 9. He read about whoever calls on the name of the Lord. If you believe with your mouth, confess with your, believe with your heart, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Christ. He's been raised from the dead. You can be saved. And he read those, that passage. He opened his heart to Christ and he was saved. He didn't have a really um, good testimony there at the prison. Had a lot of stuff to work through. When he finally got out, he was transferred to another prison. Then the war was over. He went back with his wife as a missionary to the Japanese. 
When he went back, they came to hear him preach. You know why? They wanted to hear this guy who they'd mistreated, who had now forgiven them. They wanted to hear this man who had once hated them as an enemy, who now came to tell them that he loved them. That's a transformed life. That's God taking a person, changing their life, and thrusting them back out into the darkness so that they can make a difference. That's what God's called us to do. I pray that this week would be one of those weeks where God just gets hold of us, where as we, we go from room to room, place to place in this church and pray, we pray for our church and our city and our world, God would get hold of our hearts. That's my prayer. I mentioned being a pastor for over 20 years and going to camp. Lately, haven't had to do it in a couple of years, praise the Lord. When I've had opportunity to go to camp, Somebody might ask me the night before camp, Pastor, are you ready for camp? Well, no, but I'll, I'll pack in the morning. As I'm going out the door, I've been there, done that, I know what I need. You know, this is, uh, this is not my first rodeo. I know what I need to have and what I don't need to have. I can do it. Some of us approach time with God, whether it's a worship service or a week of prayer, with, oh yeah, here we go again. It's on the calendar, it's scheduled, we're going to pray, we're going to have revival, we're going to do whatever. Been there, done that, no big deal. I pray that this week God would take us back to that preteen or that junior high kid or that teenager. It's their first time to go to camp, excited, anticipating, this is going to be some week. Can we have that attitude? It's going to depend on us doing what God says, humbling ourselves, praying, seeking his face, repenting of sin. Let's pray together.